I think back to when I was 18 years old. I was sitting in a hospital hallway with my mom sitting next to me and my head was in my hands. We had just found out that my dad had stage four lung cancer. It was terminal. We had six weeks left with him. It was the first trial of this magnitude that I had ever faced. And I completely felt like my world would never be the same. And I certainly had questions for God. What am I supposed to do now? How am I gonna live without him? And probably the question that we all ask when walking through any trial, why? Why him? Why now? Why our family? I was so wrapped up in the moment, so caught up in my own hurt and pain that I couldn't see the bigger plan in place. And let me tell you, I prayed as hard as I could to keep my dad alive. I know that between my mom and I, the frequency and intensity of our prayers had to be heard by my heavenly father. But on June 8th of 2006, my father passed away. I knew that God could do it, but he didn't. Had I not prayed hard enough, I don't think I could have prayed any harder. Were the cries of my heart not good enough? Was I not holy enough, good enough, pious enough to deserve for my dad to be healed? My questions quickly shifted from why him to why me? Is that you this morning? Are you wanting God to take away this trial that you're going through? This job that seems impossible, this marriage that just never seems to get any better, this ridiculous schedule of never being able to leave our houses, being quarantined, this looming disease that has its grip on all of our lives? Or what if it's like my story? You or a loved one is fighting a battle for their life. See, I believe God is calling us to faithfully respond in a very specific way to our trials and our pain. Grab your Bibles and turn with me this morning to the book of Daniel. We're going to be in chapter 3, and it's here where we see God give us a process and a plan for how we should respond in faith to the trials we face. We pick up in the passage just after King Nebuchadnezzar had appointed Daniel to a very high position. He had made him the ruler over all of Babylon. This is huge. And in turn, Daniel asked the king to appoint Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as administrators over Babylon, another high position. King Nebuchadnezzar then builds this image or idol that towers over everything in Babylon at 90 feet high and nine feet wide. Here's the thing, this thing was completely made of gold. To me, it feels like a total Ron Burgundy move. He summons everyone, hey, come see how good this looks. I'm kind of a big deal. So governors, prefects, advisors, and judges from all around come to check out this idol as it is dedicated in Babylon. Then there's an announcement. All nations and peoples of every tongue are commanded to worship this image. They must fall to their knees and worship anytime they hear music, whether it's from a horn or a flute or a lyre or whatever. A real drop and give me worship kind of moment, right? So as this news travels through Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to worship any other god 
than the one they serve. Well, some astrologers notice this and they make a run for the king. They go and tattle on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego like a kindergartner who just had his fruit roll-up stolen out of his Captain America lunchbox. Now see, I would have said Batman lunchbox, but a kid with a Batman lunchbox, he wouldn't have tattled. He would have just swiftly served up justice. Anyway, so King Nebuchadnezzar, he is furious and he orders them brought before him. He says, bring those guys in front of me. And then in verse 13, it says this. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So here's the trial presented plainly in front of them. If you worship gods that you don't believe in or serve, you will avoid the blazing furnace. But if you don't, you will meet a fiery end. Another way to say it is, if you give up on your convictions, if you disobey the one true God's law, you'll walk away unharmed. But if you keep the law as God has commanded. If you are obedient, no matter the outcome, you will walk into that fire. What about your situation this morning? Let's go back to you. If you lay out your trial plainly in front of you, what is it that is being asked? If you stay in this job, yeah, you may have a paycheck, but you'll miss out on another opportunity that you have been waiting for. If you leave your spouse because they've hurt you or because they've been unfaithful, sure, you may rid yourself of momentary pain, but you may also be walking away from what God desperately wants to redeem. Is any of this easy? No! Is it some of the hardest things that life can throw at you? Yes! And honestly, where is God? Is he even paying attention? I'll tell you, I wrestled with those very questions after my dad passed. I had a choice to turn my back on God, to be disobedient towards the calling that I knew he had put on my life. Or I could walk through this fire in faith and obedience. Look, I was angry and I felt I was justified in my anger since I had served God with my gifts and talents. I was already singing and playing at church and giving of my time. I was in this mentality of because of my service to him, I was owed my dad's healing. I was approaching God saying, I worshiped, now where's my reward? I praised you, now let me prosper. I mistook the fact that God could heal him because of his power for the notion that God should heal him because of my deeds. That's such a twisted view of the gospel. But what about those three guys? 
those three guys facing the fire? How did they respond to the trial? We continue in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. My God is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us. We will walk into the fire knowing that our God will deliver us from your hand. This is an incredible display of faith. And this was in the face of death and to the king. And then they deliver one of the most important pieces of advice for all of us as believers. This is one of the most encouraging lines in all of scripture to me. Verse 18 says this, but even if he doesn't, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Their faith wasn't contingent on not experiencing pain. Their heart to serve wasn't dependent on what happened to them in the fire. They had faith enough to see that God will use whatever he desires to glorify himself and to accomplish his plan in his timing. They said that they believed they would be delivered from the king's hand. And they knew death was a way in which God could do it. So let's get back to your trial, the trial you're facing. Can you begin to look at it and say, God, I know you can bring me a new job. I believe that you will bring me a new job. But even if you don't, you are still worthy of my praise simply for who you are. God, I know you are able to restore my marriage. I know you will restore my marriage. But even if you don't, you are still my king and my God. I so desperately wish that I could go back to that moment and say, God, I know you can heal my dad. I know you will heal my dad. But even if you don't, I won't turn my back on you and my life is all yours. With hindsight being 2020, my fervent prayers for my dad to be healed were answered in the most incredible way they could have been. With his death, he was given a new body in Christ, one with no more cancer. And he was perfectly, he was in the presence of Jesus who perfectly loves him more than I ever could. If I had my prayers answered the way I wanted, my dad might have stayed in that hospital bed unable to speak and with almost no quality of life. I believe our faith shouldn't be controlled by our circumstances, but our faith should be what guides us through our circumstances. And if you're familiar with the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know that because of their unprecedented display of faithfulness in the face of adversity, God sends a huge army of angels to strike down King Nebuchadnezzar right there in that moment and immediately calls them up into heaven, right? Yeah, yeah, not so much. Quite the opposite, in fact. Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind. He freaks out. Scripture says that his attitude toward them changed. That might be an understatement. He orders the fire to be burned seven times hotter than it ever had been. He tells his strongest soldiers, go tie them up so that they cannot escape. 
the king's orders were so urgent and the fire was so hot, it was burning so hot that the soldiers that threw them in burned up before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego even made it into the fire. Then let's pick it back up in verse 23. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. They are in the fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. The hottest fire, the most painful events in all of our lives, our God is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us. Do you believe that this morning? That he can even rescue us to the extent that we don't suffer, we don't experience the negative impacts from the trial. That's the strength and the might of the God that we serve. But you might ask me, Chad, why even send these guys into the fire? Their faith in God seemed true and firm. Why test them? Why put them through this? Here's a tough thing for us to try and wrestle with, but I believe your fire, your trial, may not be just for you. God may use the trial that you experience to show others how to walk into and out of the flames. Personally, I feel God has used my father's death to adjust my perspective and draw my focus into what my purpose as a father is. I'm able to see the importance of telling Aiden how proud I am of him, that I love him, and the impact of doing that every day, lavishing my love upon him so that he doesn't have to suffer through any of the doubts that I had. He knows where he stands with me, and it doesn't take a life-threatening illness to hear the truth from his dad. I also believe God has used it to strengthen me as a person, to grow me in my faith in ways that may not have been possible any other way. But what if I refused to accept it? What if I had held on to my hurt and pain, let that drive me? I shook my fists at God, unwilling to be patient as his plan unfolds in my life. It would have easily shown my spiritual immaturity, my lack of connection to the character of my heavenly father and a faith based on something other than simply who God is. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the trial they walked through surely developed them in some mighty ways. But you know what God also used it to do? He used it to bring a narcissistic king to his knees. 
Verse 28 says it like this. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. What? It's, it's amazing to me. So what is it saying? It's saying we have to have faith and trust that God's plan for our lives is better and it will unfold in his perfect timing. Our part is to be obedient, even to the point of death, as Philippians 2.8 says. Sure, we can avoid the fire, but if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had avoided the fire, had stayed away, they would have missed the Father. He met them in the flames. He was with them before and after, but he joined them in the flames. Our faith must shout that even if he doesn't answer my prayer the way I want or at all, I know my God has a reason that I, might, that I may not see until later or that I may never see. We have the example, so what do we do with it? How do we live out of faith that will outlive all of its pallbearers? Here's what I think we need to do. One of the first things, spend intentional time with the Word of God to learn the character of God. When we take time to become so intimately familiar with the character of God, we can hear His voice and we are able to recognize His nature even in the middle of our hurt, which is a real sign of spiritual maturity. We also are then able to dispel the lies of God being the cause of our problems or that he should genie us out. He should genie us out of them simply because we think we are owed that. So the only way to get to know the character of God is to spend time in the word of God. Another thing I think we should do is pray for God to deliver you from your own understanding of your situation. There's a huge difference between praying for God to deliver us from our understanding of our situation and praying for God to deliver us from our situation. The trial in front of us is there for a reason. So when we pray to have God give us a new understanding of our situation, we deny what our heart wants, and we submit to what God wants for us. See, we know that our hearts are naturally wicked. They're bent on their own desires. Jeremiah 17, 9 says it this way, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Isaiah 55, 8, it reminds us, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord. Simply put, we can't trust our own understanding. We have to connect and stay connected with our Father so, so that we don't rely on what we think or what we see 
It's all about what he thinks and sees. We pray for wisdom to understand our situation over being delivered from it. And the third thing is trust and worship God simply for who he is, not for what he does and not for what he doesn't do. Romans 12, one through three gives it to us this way. Paul says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and what perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. We have to take ourselves out of the main character role in the story. God is the main character, and everything we do should be to glorify his name. He is the one who is perfect. He's the one with the perfect will. And when we renew our minds with his word, we can trust in him and worship him sacrificially with our lives because of who he is and not the things he's done or the things he's failed to do. As we close this morning, I want you to take this challenge. Take some time this week, separate from your quiet time, Take some time this week to look back at all the situations that God has brought you through. Really look back over all the things, and I want you to pick them apart because I would imagine that as you do this, there will be at least some evidence of a trial that you faced and God used it for his glory. God uses everything for his glory. And so if you find yourself in a position of not having many examples or feeling like you don't have any examples, I'd be willing to bet that it could be your pride or your pain and frustration of having to go through a trial in the first place. Our pain and our pride can have a tendency to keep us from seeing God glorified in the situation. We also may have not experienced God's timing yet. We can't control all the trials we will face, how others respond to our trials, and we can't control when God's timing will take place. But here's what we can control, our attitude and our heart's posture towards God and others. And we can also determine our response to the trials we face. Think about it. What if God didn't part the Red Sea for Moses and the Israelites? What if David's slingshot hadn't struck Goliath? What if Jonah isn't spit up by the whale? And what if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had burned up in the fire? God is still God. And here's the thing, I know that God is able to deliver me. I know that he will deliver me. But even if he doesn't, I want to live with a faith that responds in worship simply to who God is. Let's pray this morning.
God, we are so thankful for you. God, help us to stop worrying about these trials, these situations that we would face, and shift that worry into a drive and focus to spend time with you, to connect to the character of who you are. God, we want more than anything else to be so connected, so familiar with you that we can see you in the middle of every situation. And God, for these terrible trials that we'll face in our lives, God, when the worst thing imaginable happens, give us strength and give us that wisdom to know that you will be right there in the middle of the fire with us. But we have to walk in obedience, walk in faith directly into the flames. God, I also pray this morning that not only will you give us wisdom, but you'll give us peace and comfort because that's the type of father that you are. And God, I do pray that you would deliver us. God, that anyone this morning that is facing something that they feel like is so incredibly huge, so insurmountable, that you would bring peace and comfort to them and guide their understanding to know that it is for their good. Your scripture says that, that you make everything work for your good. You care about us. You love us. And a trial is not contrary to that. Because God, you're willing to walk into that fire with us. God, we love you. We praise you just for who you are. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.